0: Hello and welcome to the Dr. Brian McDonough Show. My guest today will be Mark Shaw. He is an author of a number of books, including The Reporter Who Knew Too Much. The Reporter Who Knew Too Much focuses on a woman by the name of Dorothy Kilgallen. You may or may not know the name, but if you ever watched the show What's My Line or repeats of What's My Line on YouTube, you may recognize this. Have I
1: ever seen you in the lobby of the Lancaster Hotel in Paris? Yes, yes. Have you and I ever waltzed at the Waldorf for the March of Dimes?
0: Did I ever buy you a tie? Have I ever seen you in Maxime's in Paris? One, no, one more question. Did you ever push an old lady down the stairs? Yes, ma'am.
1: Are you Dick Windmark?
0: In its day, What's My Line was a top show. 10.30, Sunday nights, guests like Milton Berle, Richard Windmark, the stars of the day came on the show. And one of the things they did during the show was the panelists were blindfolded and had to ask difficult questions to try to figure out who the guests were. And the guests would use strange voices, do whatever they could to try to not be identified. But Dorothy Kilgallen was more than a guest on a program, a panelist on a talk show, someone who was seen in society. Dorothy Kilgallen was essentially Barbara Walters before Barbara Waters. She had a column in New York that ran throughout the country, and it was syndicated at a time when syndicated newspaper articles were what everybody read because that was the way they got information. She had a syndicated talk show on radio in the morning uh, with her husband, and she was an investigative reporter. Basically, Dorothy Kilgallen was a mother of three. She was the total package. She had figured out how to do everything. So why is Mark Shaw, this author, joining me on the program, writing about someone who died in November of 1965? Well, she died at the age of 52 under suspicious circumstances. And he found out about Dorothy, certainly he knew who she was, He had seen her on TV, but he found out about her because a lawyer in his building had been involved in the John F. Kennedy assassination, follow-up, a lot of the issues surrounding it. Now, of course, when John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, it has led to numerous conspiracy theories. Well, this lawyer who he knew had been involved and had actually been involved with some people who may or may not have been connected in some form with the killing. Now, again, what's the connection to Dorothy Kilgallen? Well, Dorothy Kilgallen was investigating the assassination of John F. Kennedy, and in particular, the death of this man, Lee Harvey Oswald. Again, look back in history, Lee Harvey Oswald was shot by a man named Jack Ruby. So Kilgallen, back after 1963 when the Ruby trial was held, was one of the reporters covering the trial of Jack Ruby. So let's do this. John F. Kennedy is assassinated. The Warren Commission comes out and says it is the single gunman theory, you know all that story. Lee Harvey Oswald is being paraded in the basement of the police station and somehow this man who owns a nightclub named Jack Ruby gets in and shoots him. Just like he's waltzing through, he gets in and shoots him. Kilgallen starts to cover the trial. Because she is who she is, and because Jack Ruby enjoyed What's My Line, he allowed, basically allowed Kilgallen to do a one-on-one interview with him. She was the only reporter who ever interviewed Jack Ruby extensively. She found out a lot of information from Jack Ruby. And guess what? She was going to write a book about the assassination of John F. Kennedy The death of Lee Harvey Oswald and Jack Ruby, and she was investigating it. And she was also telling people about the investigation. And according to author Mark Shaw, she was telling so many people it raised attention. That attention, he believes, could have led to her death. So in a moment, we are going to have Mark Shaw join us, talk about Dorothy Kilgallen, John F. Kennedy, even Marilyn Monroe all part of the Dr. Brian McDonough Show. The Dr. Brian McDonough Show! Hi, it's Dr. Brian McDonough with my guest, Mark Shaw. First of all, Mark, thank you for taking the time to join me. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, it's my honor. Uh, You're a legend in many ways, uh, Brian, so I'm privileged to be on your program.
0: Well, thank you very much for saying that, and more importantly, thanks for being on the program. Um, I first came across you and your books, and, and there's numerous books, we've talked about them, but uh, with Dorothy Kilgallen, yes. and um, and I know I've seen some of your podcasts, and Dorothy Kilgallen was a name, like many people I knew, I had heard, wasn't quite sure where I'd heard it, but somewhere in the recesses of my childhood, Dorothy <laughs> Kilgallen was there, yeah. and you know, I thought of interviewing you right about the time Barbara Walters passed away because in my mind, I thought Dorothy Kilgallen was Barbara Walters, in a sense, before Barbara Walters at a very tough time. Maybe you can tell me a little bit about her and, and about what she had done. Um, it's pretty fascinating.
1: Well, it is. It's interesting you bring up Barbara Walters because uh, when I started looking into who Dorothy Kilgallen was, and I'll explain that in a minute, I found out that one of the first um, uh, nightclubs in New York City that she went to was owned by Barbara Walters, uh, son. uh, And no, Barbara Walters father. And in fact, that's where she went to listen to Frank Sinatra when he had just started his career. And yes, um, you know what I've learned about Dorothy, uh, you know, Barbara Walters and Oprah and some of these others today uh, we look at with all the accolades, but Dorothy was that kind of a person then. I did not, Brian, know anything about her other than she had been on What's My Line as the um, probably the most prominent, uh, you know, uh, panelist uh, for that show. Your audience may remember it was a quiz show. What's My Line on every uh, on every Sunday night at 10 o'clock live from from New York City. And uh, I remember somewhat her being on that program. And so that's all that I knew. But I've had some sort of an advantage in some ways over others who've looked into Dorothy's life and times and the JFK assassination, because I actually practiced law in the mid-1980s uh, with uh, Melvin Belli uh, in San Francisco, who, uh, you know, as you know, was Jack Ruby's attorney. And so uh, I was looking into Belli's uh, Life and Times, after he died and decided to write a biography of him. And I started in, in researching uh, Mr. Belli's Life and Times and all of that and uh, and ended up writing a biography of him called King of the Courtroom. For people who don't remember, he was a very famous uh, attorney, personal injury attorney more than anything. Uh, he sued all the big pharmaceuticals companies. He got the first million dollar verdicts and all of that. Bigger than life character, uh, but also I found out when I was uh, researching his life and times that his main client was Mickey Cohen, who was a Los Angeles gangster. And I, you know, I'm a curious guy just like you are, Brian, and I wondered, what in the world is that all about? And so I started looking into that. And one of the things that led me uh, to was that uh, Belli, uh, with Cohen as one of his clients, was very close to the mafia. And I started hearing then from friends of bel hey, wait a minute. He knew Dorothy Kilgallen. And I said, well, what was bel on? What's my line? They said, "Well, Mark, you don't know anything about her. She was a, a famous journalist in the 50s and uh, 40s, 50s and 60s. Uh, the New York Journal American was her newspaper, syndicated to 200 newspapers across the country. And, um, you know, uh, at that time, people actually read newspapers. She also had a radio show, listened to by a million people uh, a day. And Mark, she covered the Dr. Sam Shepard case and the Lindbergh baby kidnapping case. And Mark, she was at the Jack Ruby trial because she investigated investigated the JFK assassination. Well, I was taken aback by all of that. And I started to look into Dorothy's life and times. But before before that, I decided, you know, this whole affiliation with Belli and the mafia, I wonder about this whole situation uh, with the 1960 election. So the first book that I wrote about that area was, area was uh, The Poison Patriarch. And I looked at how Joe Kennedy fixed the 60 election and used the mafia to help him win in uh, Illinois and West Virginia. And then, you know, Bobby Kennedy was appointed pretty attorney general. He went after those mafioso, a double cross and all that. And that got get me around to Dorothy's uh, theory in a little while. But I started looking into Dorothy. And what was interesting to me is the first thing I found out was she was a very close friend of JFK's. Uh, They had been he had been to parties at her home. She had seen him at the Cafe Society uh, group in in New York City. Um, And so uh, but but the topper on that uh, and the reason that I've told people the reason she got into the JFK assassination is because of a favor that JFK did for her. Dorothy's son, Kerry, was in the third grade and uh, JFK and Pierre Salinger worked it out so that Dorothy took her son to the White House. And uh, they went to the library and all at once here, walked in the president of the United States, and you can imagine the the eyes of little Kerry, you know, here's the most famous man in the world, and he made a big fuss over Kerry. Uh, He gave him a PT-109 pin. He uh, looked at letters he'd brought from the third grade class, Uh, just praised him so much, and that meant so much to Dorothy. So when JFK died, Um, She wrote in one of her columns that we'll talk about the other ones, but one of her columns, it said, "Um, what I remember is a tall man stooping over a little boy, making a fuss over the letters he brought from his third grade class. This is the man who died and was assassinated in Dallas. And from that point on then, uh, Dorothy Kilgallen launched an investigation into JFK's death. It would last 18 months. And uh, as, as Bennett Cerf used to say, who was uh, one of her co-panelists on What's My Line, if Dorothy Kilgan went after a story, she went after it full bore. And she ended up being what the New York Post called the most powerful female voice in America. And and that was, uh, you know, how, how how she decided to get into the JFK assassination. And that was my entree into figuring out a little bit more about what happened in 1963.
0: It's interesting to see how you track these things down, how... You initially were dealing with Kilgallen and then you looked into uh, JFK. You then followed up, uh, obviously, talking earlier I was about uh, Lee Harvey Oswald and how Jack Ruby came in and uh, was able to kind of waltz through the police station and and shoot Oswald. And yet you started to put these things together almost years after it appears that Dorothy Kilgallen was doing the same.
1: Yeah, you know, this all goes back, if you don't mind my mentioning, because in the new book Fighting for Justice that just came out, um, readers always ask me how I did this. Uh, I'm not being humble when I say I'm a a man of average intelligence. I I took six years to get through Purdue University, almost flunked out. I wasn't a good law student. Uh, None of that. But, um, you know, I'm just one of those guys, an overachiever who tries to work harder than everybody else. That's what my dad taught me. And so um, after getting out of Purdue and getting a job and getting fired and becoming a bartender in Chicago, I got into law school and uh, I, I was a pretty good student, decent student, at least for a while, but uh, not a great student. And I got a big break in my life when uh, a gentleman who I had interned for, he was a public defender and uh, he decided to run for the legislature in Indiana and said, if I win, Mark, I think you can get my uh, public defender job. And I and he won, and I did. And on a Friday, I'd never tried a criminal case in my life, as I explained in Fighting for Justice. And on Monday, I was trying a first-degree murder case. And, uh, you know, what? people ask me how I learned to write. Well, I had no classes, no Iowa workshops, no, nothing like that. I learned how to write, and and especially to write books, by talking to juries. I write the same way that I talk to juries. I, I use plain language. I don't have a big vocabulary. People might say my books are easily read. And and that that's the situation. Well, in when you're a criminal defense lawyer, you piece evidence together when you're defending somebody. And, and that's the same thing I've done with uh, Dorothy Kilgallen really as my guiding light from above in some ways. Uh, I have no doubt, and some of your listeners may think I'm crazy, but I think she chose me to write her story because people don't need to know that after she uh, had her investigation of the JFK assassination, uh, while, while she was doing that, uh, she was at the Ruby trial. I have photographs of her in this particular book and the others before it of her in Dealey Plaza, of her at the, in the courtroom at the Ruby trial. She was in the front row there. She's the only one out of 400 reporters who was able to interview Jack Ruby. He trusted her with that. And then what she did is she went uh, based on what he told her, he, he she went to New Orleans. That's where the mafia don Carlos Marcelo ruled, with his mafia don uh, empire um, stretching into Dallas. And Dorothy decided that she had figured out exactly what happened. That uh, here, here, here's the scenario. Uh, wait, Melvin Belli, who I knew, was brought in to uh, uh, defend Jack Ruby, keep him silent, uh, use a crazy motor ep- ep- epilepsy defense. Uh, uh, you know, making him look crazy. Um, okay, so that meant that Oswald was involved in the assassination some way, but then that stretches back to Marcello, who was double-crossed by Joe Kennedy and Bobby Kennedy, and Marcello then orchestrated the death of JFK so that Bobby Kennedy would be powerless. He wanted to kill RFK, but if he did, he knew uh, that the uh, everything the government had, JFK, would come after him. So he orchestrated the death, she figured, of, uh, of, of JFK, so Bobby would be powerless. The proof there, Brian, is that that's exactly what happened. He never went after those mafioso again. Well, the biggest problem that Dorothy had, and as I mentioned in uh, both fighting for justice and collateral damage, she was a blabbermouth, just like Marilyn Monroe was right before she was, she died, and I've proven in the book she was killed, and we'll talk about that. But um, she went back to New York City, and she said, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna break this case wide open. It's the case of a lifetime. She told her hairdressers, and people can look at these videotapes of them on the Dorothy Kilgallen story.org. All of those uh, videos are up there, her, her columns, all of that about the JFK assassination. Oswald file must not close. She wasn't buying all that Oswald alone stuff. But uh, she went back to New York. She told one hairdresser, if the wrong people knew what I know about the JFK assassination, it would cost me my life. I'm afraid for my life. I'm buying a gun. I'm changing my will. And unfortunately then, uh, because of what we'll talk about, with what Dorothy Kilgallen knew and what she was going to uh, put in a book she was writing for Random House, uh, those people who were afraid of what she was going to divulge ended up uh, orchestrating her death. She was found in a bedroom she never slept in, a uh, bed she never slept in, uh, wearing her eyelashes, hairpiece, and 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 makeup. Uh, the ME came and she never had any drug problems, but they saw a empty bottle of secondol and decided that she had died of an overdose of drugs um circumstances undetermined so yeah, I to ask you about that, that, that was a really crazy way of being able yeah. to uh give a verdict by and, then
0: and i do want to ask you for that because you know there is actually a video of her on what's my line the evening before she was murdered or before that's she passed away right. and um that video shows she's fine, she's alert, everything's great, there's nothing in the history. And it's very interesting, there was a bottle there, um, as you describe, and that she was in really, the bed she didn't sleep in, all those strange yeah. uh, things. Kind of similar in a way to Marilyn Monroe and what happened with her. There, were, there was this quick uh, autopsy, this quick, uh, yeah. you know, resolution, quote unquote, to the case, like you're saying, circumstances undetermined. And it is a little fishy that someone of Dorothy Kilgallen's stature would that would happen. And then nobody asked any questions and it just kind of disappeared. Yeah. You you
1: know, you're a respected physician and, and, uh, and, and a man of the truth. That all bothers you, but it doesn't bother a lot of people who want to cover. I always used to say when I was a criminal defense lawyer and I would see what prosecutors had done. If you want to cover up a murder, just falsify the autopsy. And in, in Dorothy's case, I was able to go ahead and the autopsy is in Fighting for Justice, Collateral Damage, The Reporter Knew Too Much, Denial of Justice, my other books. And people can say that there wasn't one, uh, there wasn't barbit- one barbiturate in her system. There were three, Tulinol and Phenobarbital. And I was able to show through uh, two toxicologists that were with the ME's office in New York City, in Manhattan. Uh, they At that time, and you're going to know the term probably, but some of those physicians and, and medical experts at the time, toxicologists, kept uh, people's bodily fluids in, in, in and, and kept them for a while because they thought that the new technology might help them figure out more of what happened. So this Dr. Broach and Dr. Umber, Umberger kept those, uh, those materials. They're the ones who found the three uh, barbiturates in her system. And more than that, uh, Brian, and we'll get into this, uh, this, this unfortunate situation where Dorothy trusted the wrong man about her JFK investigation uh, evidence. Uh, they found a glass, they kept a glass that was on her bedside table. And on that glass, there was, uh, uh, they found a remnant of uh, phenobarbital. And what they surmised both of them was that there, this just wasn't an accidental overdose, that somebody had taken these capsules and opened them And then poured them into the into the water or into her vodka and tonic drink her favorite drink and and obviously just poisoned her and uh so i was able to show that uh this wasn't a uh, an overdose of drugs that dorothy was was silenced because of all the other evidence that came into play there that you would use in a court of law uh, motive with regard to uh, her not overdosing just like you mentioned no um no evidence of any drug problems the night before she died you watch her uh, on what's my line and all of that and so i was able to put that whole picture together uh doing doing it a great deal like i would have done in the courtroom when i was a a defense lawyer
0: one of the things that you did i thought was very interesting is there was a man in her life apparently according to your research and others that there was she wasn't having the best period of time in her marriage and there was a man in her life was uh, maybe 20 years younger who became, was, a, was a writer, a uh, reporter who was a confidant of hers and perhaps a lover. And and what happened in that situation was she trusted him greatly and she got together with him apparently after the What's My Line program the night before uh, she was found dead.
1: Yeah. You know, this, this is pretty fascinating to me in many ways. Again, I'm telling you, you know, I, I I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I've been shocked that, the, that my alma mater, Purdue University, is archiving my body of work. Who would have ever thought that would happen? That but award. if you use good common sense at times, okay, uh, that can mean a great deal. And uh, what I would, uh, there's another thing I should mention. Uh, I, I did a presentation up at the Commonwealth Club of San Francisco. Maybe that's one that you watched. And this time, when I did that on December 1st, and there's something like 700,000 YouTube views of that now, it's amazing in a month. Um, they said I was a magnet for crowdsourcing. And frankly, Brian, I wasn't sure what that term meant. But in the old days, it's been pointed out to me by my smart wife, I would tell you something and you would tell somebody something and it would just go on from there. Well, in the internet era, uh, it blasts out there in many ways. So people who watch my uh, presentations or read my books or whatever, they get in touch with me. And I guarantee you somebody listening to this interview will do that as well. And what they do is come up with all of these uh, tips that I have. I can't tell you how many of those, a a lawyer in Fresno, California, um, got in touch with me. Mark, I just read The Reporter Who Knew Too Much, your best-selling book, in one evening. And I know where the Jack Ruby trial transcripts are. And he said, I'm going to send them to you. And he did. I never even knew about them. I felt dumb that I didn't go look into them. So it's those, that kind of information. And getting back to your question, uh, this man's name was Ron Pataki. Uh, he was kind of a low-life Midwestern journalist who ran into Dorothy. It was quite a hulk. She was estranged from her husband, Richard Comer, who had turned into an alcoholic. And he basically just decided to get involved with Dorothy, uh, I think, to enhance his career. Uh, but uh, she, she did care about him. And other than, uh, uh, you know, maybe one other person, he's the one that she shared her um, her JFK assassination evidence with, uh, the Ruby interviews, the, uh, you know, two of them, uh, what she had learned in New Orleans, uh, everything else that she found out uh, based on her talking with Jesse Curry, the Dallas police chief, who told her he didn't send his officers when he heard the shots to the depository he sent him to the overpass I mean she had the best evidence and the best sources and she shared it with Ron Pataki so uh, yes he met her uh, the night before she, uh, the night she died um, in, in a hotel near her home on uh, East East uh, 68th Street and uh, we believe and we think it, 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 it's uh, very probable that this happened he is worried about uh, the fact that she believes he is leaking her JFK assassination to the wrong people. Well, I was trying to figure out who the wrong people uh, were, and we'll talk about that with Marilyn's death too, but who the wrong people were. And so um, I, I found out uh, through another uh, tip that I had, go to the National Archives, Mark, because you'll find out that J. Edgar Hoover uh, was was Dorothy's enemy for many reasons, as we'll talk about when we get to the, the dealing with the Warren Commission corruption. But um, that led me to uh, the butler uh, in Dorothy's home uh, uh, daughter, who told me that on the morning Dorothy died, um, J. Edgar Hoover sent agents, or those posing as agents, to her home. They took all of her documents, her papers, everything about the JFK assassination she had. Those documents have never been found. So I, I was in the middle of all that when I was thinking, well, this Ron Pataki, you know, how am I going to show that he may have been involved with somebody like J. Edgar Hoover or maybe Carlos Marcelo or somebody like that? And all at once, I—I I, it's a crazy situation. I won't take long with it. But uh, my favorite bookstore in the world is in Paris. Um, I can't think of it right now, but it's where Hemingway and James Joyce and all of them hung out. And uh, I wanted to speak over there because we were going to take, to take a trip to France. So I got in touch with the manager over there and said, you know, would it be possible to, to, um, to speak about Dorothy Kilgallen and the, and the assassinations? She sends me this email. Yes, it would be. But also, there's a man named Walters in Las Vegas that you need to talk to about War- Dorothy Kilgallen. Wow. And boy, you know, that lit up my eyes. So uh, when, I got, when I got that information, she put me in touch with him and he told me this story. He said, Mr. Shaw, uh, I knew Ron Pataki in Las Vegas. And he was in trouble as uh, November of 1965 approached. That's the when Dorothy died, November 865. 65. And uh, he was in he was in trouble with the wrong people, and that's that coincided with that that term that I had, wrong people. And he said, uh, I really believe what happened there is that he made a deal. He was compromised by those powerful people who couldn't let Dorothy write that book for. For Random House, and that would have been J. Edgar Hoover, that would have been Marcello, you know, that would have been those kinds of people who were threatened by what she was going to write, and he said, um, yeah, uh, and he got in trouble, and and those wrong people said to him, look, you, you're very close to Dorothy Kilgallen. We know that. We can get you out of trouble if you'll give us information about what's going to be in her book for Random House, and Ed Walters said to me, uh, Mr. Shaw, uh, that's what he did. He told the wrong people, and I believe he said, uh, including J. Edgar Hoover, what Dorothy was going to have that book, and I get a little chill whenever I say uh, say this, Brian. Ed Walters said, the moment that he shared that information, Walter, Wal, or, uh, Pataki did with the wrong people, she was dead. So it's just fascinating me how all that's kind of circled back, I never intended to be the magnet for crowdsourcing, but that that means a lot when when people trust you. I just had something happen uh, the other day where somebody gave me a tip that I'm going to follow up on uh, on Monday uh, with with a gentleman who now lives in Paris who can give me information about Dorothy Kilgallen because he knew her sister. Now, this is 60-some years after she died, but uh, I'm very benevolent to people who get in touch with me. Sure. Uh, I can just, if you don't mind, say my website's markshawbooks.com. My email is mshaw, I n at yahoo. I answer every single email because I'm afraid I'll miss something, frankly. So I'm very blessed with all of that information coming my way.
0: So, kind of to summarize a little bit of what you said, and and from hearing your other lectures and, and reading your books, basically what happened, I'm assuming, was at a period of time, at least the theory is that when JFK became president, as you mentioned, his father had made an arrangement to get those votes. Uh, JFK at his father's prodding, uh, put Robert F. Kennedy in as the attorney general. Now the the people, the leaders, the mob bosses felt they were gonna be left alone as part of this deal, but instead, RFK went after them and went after some of them in particular, one person who uh, Marcellus, he was a leader in New Orleans, yeah. He actually was deported, uh, came back, but when he came back, he was quite angry, and he was the person who may have started uh, or been involved in the process of taking out the president one form or another. Dorothy, okay, then Oswald is identified as the, uh, the person who alone acted alone, which of course was the Warren Commission okay. and all the controversy there. So then he... Um, gets shot by a nightclub owner, Jack Ruby, who um, gets full access to the police station. It's unbelievable. He gets to walk right up to him and shoot him point blank. Yeah. And then Dorothy comes in, is covering the case and is picking it up, I think, from there, but probably learning about the whole JFK, RFK thing. And perhaps, I'm not even sure, about Marilyn Monroe and where she's tied in. So maybe we can you know, yeah. take it from there.
1: Well, what's interesting is, um, and, and I, I want to skip a little bit, if it's okay. To, to, what did sure. Dorothy Kilgallen know when she died? Why was she so dangerous? Well, she, she had whatever Ruby told her, we don't know, because it was in those documents that were stolen. Uh, but what did she know? She had the Jack Ruby trial transcripts. I mean, she had the Jack Rudy testimony at trial. And then, uh, and I'm going to tell you how she got it, the uh, Jack Ruby testimony at the Warren Commission. Uh, She knew all about that. She knew that the testimony he gave at the trial wasn't the same testimony he gave at the Warren Commission because at trial, she heard uh, primary source evidence. I don't speculate in my books. Primary source evidence who said that they overheard conversations by Jack Ruby saying, I will be there when Oswald will will be transferred. I'll get in making like a reporter. I'll use my police contacts to get in there. And Dorothy later proved in a column that he did have those police contacts. So she knew all of that. And, you know, if if she and she knew about the the thread of going through um, Belli, Oswald, Ruby, JFK, Joe, Bobby Kennedy, all of that kind of thing, the double cross and everything. So she knew all of that information. But what's interesting, again, is how this all works, because um, it, it thread goes on through the Warren Commission. And the way it does is another one of those situations that I could never have imagined, and that is that this gentleman in February named Morris Wolf uh, sent me an email saying, I just watched a presentation of yours at the Allen Public Library in Dallas that went viral with four and a half million views, and I know Dorothy Kilgallen. And you can imagine, again, it was a wow moment for me. So he said, I want to talk to you, and I called him. And Mr. Wolf is a very distinguished man. He was an Amherst uh, college graduate, Yale Law School, and then he told me, Mr. Shaw, I worked for Bobby Kennedy when he was in—he uh, was attorney general. And in fact, I was there, of course, JFK was in the White House, and I became the go-between the Justice Department and the White House uh, with messages between both of them because they were afraid to use the telephone. They thought that J. Edgar Hoover might be tapping their phones. And I said, my goodness, Mr. Wolf, is is, is that the case? He said, yes, but more than that, uh, Mr. Shaw. And I'll tell you how I knew Dorothy in a minute. But I was, um, after I left Bobby Kennedy's office, I uh, was a legislative assistant to one of the Warren Commission members. Boy, you can imagine what's going through my mind because nobody's ever gotten inside the Warren Commission. Uh, They had the... uh, Um, you know, uh, silence uh, edict from J. Edgar Hoover and, and LBJ. Don't talk to anybody about this. So I'm listening very closely. And he said, you know, I used to ride with this senator to the Warren Commission hearings in his sob. He was a very tall man. He barely could get in there. And sometimes I would wait for him and I would watch the hearings. And the first thing I have to tell you is very seldom were there members even at the hearings um they 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 use the, the the staff members uh, not not the members at all and i said is that true he said yes and then i want to tell you some things and i'm going to quote just a little bit of what he said that that senator said and then i'll identify him he said the commission this senator said the commission members already know about the jack ruby connection to organized crime but they don't want to touch it he said it's more than oswald but hoover and chief justice earl warren keep pushing the Oswald alone conclusion. He said our new president, Lyndon Johnson, wants to cover up the truth. They want to bury the truth under a pile of stones and finally, and this was the rationale finally for the Warren Commission report uh, conclusion that it was Oswald alone. They say it's Oswald alone is good for con- for, the con- for God in the country, but that there is internal corruption and I don't know why. I'm writing this, these things down as fast as I can as you would, Brian, because this was a real breakthrough. All these matters are kind of my contributions to history from this little guy who grew up in Indiana. And and I, I'm proud of being able to do that, but sometimes the, the illogic of how this happen, happens just makes me, you know, shake my head. But then he said, well, Mr. Shah, I, I can tell you who it was, and what I'm gonna do is, is pick up the book, and only for the reason that I want people to see what's on the cover. Well, you see uh, J. Edgar Hoover, uh, J. Edgar Hoover here, Marilyn Monroe, who will connect to Dorothy's uh, death, and, and J- I mean, t- connect to JFK's death, Dorothy Kilgallen over here, and Bobby Kennedy. But right here is a photograph of the Warren Commission uh, giving the uh, report to LBJ. And he said, Mr. Shaw, if you want to know how disgusted this particular senator was with what was going on uh, with, with the proceedings and all of that, and and then we'll get to this dissent that he, he demanded uh, that would have changed the course of history if it would have been allowed, he said, look at the photographs very carefully. Everybody is standing by themselves. You've got Senator Richard Russell here, uh, Jerry Ford, uh, Earl Warren, um, LBJ, there's Alan Dulles. He said one man is kind of hiding behind everybody else, and that is Senator John Sherman Cooper of Kentucky. And the reason he's doing that, because he was ashamed of what they were doing with the Oswald alone conclusion. Uh, he, he didn't believe in it. He was a very close friend of JFK's. In fact, he and his wife were the first ones to be invited to the White House. He didn't believe that the investigation was on the level. I was able to prove, and the, and the transcripts are in the in the new book, uh, Fighting for Justice, uh, conversations between LBJ and Hoover, stacking the deck with those only those they thought could uh, to it could vote for a Oswald alone theory. I mean this was all uh, planned out that uh, and we, and i 'll tell you why uh, th- that happened, uh, but this particular senator uh, said you know i, I 'm disgusted with all of this. He also said uh, and, I, and, and you know when I get that kind of information it 's like hearsay in court, I need to confirm it. So I went to the oral histories for Senator Cooper at the University of Kentucky and the University of Georgia, and I found confirmation in documents. That, that I was able to come up with. One of them talks about that, that they're not getting enough information from LBJ and Earl Warren, that they're being kept in the dark. They're using staff members because they can control them. There's a letter of resignation he threatened to, to uh, send to the president because they weren't inviting into the meetings. And one of the most devastating things that he that I found in there is that he and Richard Russell, the senator from Georgia, demanded in the final report a dissent a minority report that said they did not believe in the uh, silver bullet theory, they did not believe in Oswald alone and all of that. They got LBJ and J. Edgar Hoover to promise them that would be in the report and it was not. And As you can imagine, this whole uh, deal with perpetuating the Oswald alone theory would have been changed then because in that situation, um, the dissent would have made a lot of difference, but it was never part of of that uh, that final report so all of that information came to me because morris wolf uh, the crowdsourcing situation came to me uh, with that kind of information so dorothy then uh was given and and this will circle back dorothy was given the jack ruby testimony before the warren commission before its release date she she uh printed it uh, posted it uh, published it on the front page of the journal america newspaper in New York at the time, infuriated J. Edgar Hoover, and I always wondered, where did she get that testimony? So I said to Morris Wolf, is it possible that uh, Senator John Sherman Cooper, and, and I'll get to, to, well, no, just let me inter- interject this. Mm-hmm. Morris Wolf finally says, the reason I know Dorothy Hill Gallant is because I went to dinners at Senator John Sherman Cooper's uh, town, uh, his, uh, his home in Georgetown at 29th and N Street, and I've proven that that was where he lived. And I sat right next to Dorothy Kilgallen at the dinner table. She was a bright light bulb. She asked me all these questions. She was investigating me and, and all of that while we were having our salad and, and our, and our uh, main meal. And, and he said, you know, I was amazed with her and what she was like. And when I asked him the question then about where did she get this uh, Jack Ruby Warren Commission testimony, Uh, Could that be possibly said, very likely, and also, I believe, as we'll talk about, the corruption in the Warren Commission that Senator Cooper let Dorothy know about the corruption at the Warren Commission. So now what does she know? Well, she knows about the Jack Ruby testimony at trial. She knows about the Warren Commission testimony that doesn't sync with that testimony. Uh, she She was given to it by Senator Cooper, a man of integrity, as Morris Wolf said, just like Dorothy was a woman of integrity and now she knows about the corruption. Well, she was blabbing that all over New York City in November of 1965, and 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 unfortunately, the wrong people found out about that, and they had no option but to silence Dorothy Kilgallen.
0: You're watching the Dr. Brian McDonough Show. My guest is Mark Shaw, and um, if you want to subscribe, please subscribe to uh, the YouTube channel, and uh, obviously with With social media this is everywhere and one of the things i think that is fascinating and i respect about you is even to the level of was that the address of the senator you have done the research you've done these things years later to support like an attorney like what you do it it frustrates me uh on two levels for Dorothy kilgallen the first is that first of all it shows that you could be any level of fame power and you still theoretically could be taken out. But the second thing um, that bothers me is she was onto something. The manuscript obviously disappeared and she was getting it real time. I mean, what you've been able to do 40, 50, 60 years later essentially is get this information. She probably, like she was there, she was at the trial. She was talking to people firsthand. What she must have known and what must have been going in her mind uh, was probably would have probably blown the cover off of this.
1: Well, what's what's disturbing to me at times, Brian, is that um, I wasn't there at the Ruby trial. I wasn't there at that time. All of these so-called experts and and, uh, uh, you know, authors through the years have written all these books. They weren't there. Just recently, when the JFK uh, uh, assassination documents were released, this last batch, uh, there was a a man whose name I don't even want to say because I have such uh, uh, I just have such distaste for him. But on one of the extreme media, I don't think there's too much uh, question what I would be saying. He he took a look at some of these kind of things and then said he had a expert close to all of this and he had classified documents. Of course, he didn't identify the source of any kind. But then he spouts out all this information about you know the CIA was involved, and maybe they were a bit I don't know exactly Dorothy didn't look into that. she looked into the Carlos Marcelo situation and he and he has the audacity then to tell the world and 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 really, from all of this, I can prove that the CIA not only recruited uh, uh Lee Harvey Oswald, they recruited Jack Ruby and and that information gets out there with no possible. Uh, proof of any of it. That drives me crazy at times because, you know, um, I, I can be wrong about some of this, but I will tell you in the four my four latest books, I don't ever get uh, anybody who's disputed the evidence that I have. And I'll tell you why I believe it's credible, because I followed uh, Dorothy Kilgallen's research. You just mentioned something very interesting there, and, and that's I have such mad admiration for you. You're a man of the truth, but you're very perceptive, and you listen during these interviews, which always doesn't happen. You said I looked at a little thing about the address of Senator John Cooper, Sir Sherman Cooper's home. Well, Dorothy did that, and she's smarter than I am, that's for sure. So I follow her lead. Here, here's an example. Uh, Jack Ruby said he was so distraught over LBJ's death, right? Oh my gosh, just felt terrible about it, and all of that. There's even one book written that he killed Oswald because he wanted didn't want Jackie Kennedy to have a trial and all that baloney. Well, he goes to the he's at the uh, Dallas Morning News offices when all this happens, kind of I believe watching what's happening in, down the street. But uh he's just distraught and he's crying and he tells everybody he's awful and everything. Then in the afternoon, he goes back to the Dallas Morning News offices and he ha- he was a salesman in a lot of ways. He's trying to sell them what was called a twist board. Where you got on there and learned how to do the twist, which is the, you know, the big dance of the of the time with Chubby Checker and all that kind of thing. So Dorothy writes this column. Well, if he's so damn distraught about everything, what's he doing back there laughing and having fun at the Dallas Morning News offices? And and that that's the kind of thing she looked for, um, and and that's that's what I try to look for. These little things that may not. Make a lot of difference. Uh, We can switch right now, if if you don't mind, to Marilyn Monroe's death. I was never going to write about it, Brian. Um, I had written the reporter who knew too much, uh, denial of justice, collateral damage. uh, I'm sorry, uh, denial of justice, uh, and and um, uh, denial of justice in the reporter who knew too much. And I was going to quit, but people all around the world. I don't know. I've got five or six thousand emails over the years. Said, is there a, a connection between Dorothy and Marilyn's death? And I said, well, I don't think so. I'm not going to look into that. And then it kind of got to me. I'm a curious guy like you. <clears throat> so I started looking into it. First thing I found was a photograph of Marilyn and, and Dorothy at 20th Century Fox, uh, where, where Marilyn was making a movie. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, I thought, well, that's interesting. And then that, uh, Dor- Marilyn was at Dorothy's for parties. And then, you know, the, the final verdict on Marilyn's death was suicide. And I said, well, you know, I wonder about that. And then I found the kicker because I found a column that Dorothy had written one day before Marilyn uh, died. Uh, Marilyn Monroe on the upswing. She's going to Hollywood parties. Uh, She's the talk of the town. She's found a love interest that's a bigger name than Joe DiMaggio, who was her second husband. She has Broadway offers, movie offers. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like somebody who's going to commit suicide, and so I said to myself then, and this is how the threads kind of run through my mind, just like they did when I was researching a criminal case. Well, if if somebody, uh, if she didn't commit suicide, first thing I'm going to l- look at is the autopsy. Well, there were actually two of them. One of them in the morning on the day or two after she died, uh, I think it was the certificate of death, and that one said she died of an overdose. Three hours later in the afternoon, there was the actual autopsy report. She committed suicide. Well, that doesn't work with me. And then I found out that Dr. Thomas Noguchi, the notorious medical examiner in LA, was the one who handled the autopsy. And if you can imagine this, Brian, this should offend you as a a person in the medical profession. He admitted afterwards, well, you know, I made a mistake. I didn't really investigate all of, of Maryland's inner organs. And by the time I figured out I hadn't, they were gone. They'd been destroyed. Well, you talk about, this is one of the most fam- maybe the f- most famous person in the world, and they can't get the autopsy right. So I thought, well, hey, it's JFK. Because as everybody knows, I'm sure your audience knows, and, and you can see it on YouTube, uh, she was invited to sing happy birthday to JFK uh, at Madison Square Garden, and that's a story into itself with the uh, almost see-through dress that she wore, but she sings happy birthday to him, and then there was a little a soiree right after the, uh, uh, the event at uh, one of JFK's donors' place, and you can see a picture, the only one that I believe exists that hasn't been uh, disturbed, and you see Bobby Kennedy over here, you see Marilyn in the middle, and you see JFK on the right. They had a brief love affair, JFK and Marilyn Monroe, but Joe Kennedy was smart. We're gonna run for election in a couple of years. We don't want all these photographs of you in this uh, surly, uh, sexy actress out there. So he put a stop to it. And so I'm thinking, well, who's, a big, who's the second, big, second biggest, biggest name uh, uh, that I can find? And that was Robert Kennedy. And that's where, again, my instincts that Dorothy, I think, would have had she didn't believe Marilyn Monroe had been died. In fact, she told anybody who would listen, it's the Kennedys. But I, I, I used her instincts and I started looking into Bobby Kennedy. Well, what's the first thing I found out? I was able to secure, and the document is in this book, uh, a CIA document written a couple days before Marilyn's death, and it's, it's lethal in nature. It, it, it divulges the, the fact that Marilyn Monroe and RFK's uh, phones are being tapped at her Brentwood home that she had just, uh, she had just gotten, and by the way, she had just gotten a dog that she loved, she'd just gotten her own home, and other reasons why she would never committed suicide that Dorothy uh, knew about. So anyway, um, she, uh, you know, all of that's going on, and I find out that Bobby Kennedy, in that CIA document, first it says, Bobby Kennedy had a, a torrid love affair with Marilyn Monroe in the summer of 1962. In fact, he told her that he was going to uh, divorce, Ethel Kennedy, and Mary Marilyn. And in that document also, it says that Marilyn Monroe uh, was privy to conversations with either JFK or RFK that JFK was planning to have Fidel Castro assassinated. And with regard to the love affair and those matters of national security, she was going to go to the media because both Kennedys had dumped her. I have this visual in Fighting for Justice where she's sitting by the phone. They won't answer her her, her phone calls. She's crying. Dorothy had just written a column about her about her looking for love, and she's going to the media. Well, it would have been one thing, Brian, for her to go to the media and talk about the love affairs. You know, that probably could have been squelched. But if she would have gone to the media and given them the conversation she heard about matters of national security, that the Kennedys were either telling her with pillow talk or to impress her or whatever. That's treason that they're doing that. And they could not let Marilyn uh, go to the media. So I was able to prove then that Bobby Kennedy was in L.A. He wasn't in San Francisco, as he said. I have uh, duplication of documents there at 20th Century Fox when he landed in a helicopter with Peter Lawford on the day Marilyn died. I have authentic um, accounts of he and Lawford going to Marilyn Monroe's uh, 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 home, begging her not to go to the media. She refused. And I'm telling you what, it was the same situation uh, that I encountered with someone, uh, The good uh, uh, source telling me the same thing that Ed Walders taught, told me about Dorothy Kilgallen when um, Ron Pataki leaked her material to the wrong people, when, Dor- when Marilyn Monroe refused to uh, to, to to not go to the media with what she knew that the Kennedys had told her she was dead too. I have a new, two new accounts in the book about uh, Bobby's involvement in uh, Marilyn's death. One of them is by a relative of Joe, T- Joe DiMaggio, who, who uh, wrote in a book that I've authenticated, that uh, her mother uh, was on the phone with Marilyn Monroe when intruders were in Marilyn Monroe's home and uh you know it's it's uh it's it's frightening because she's hearing Marilyn who's very very upset with what's going on and who she's talking to and this particular woman uh uh was so scared that she would that she recognized the voice and so scared that she would never divulge it to her family she told uh, told them we 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 can't do that we can't you know uh do that or it's going to cost us uh uh, you know, injuries and, and threats to ourselves. That's the one. The other one is a woman in in uh, in Boston, Massachusetts, who was a friend of the Kennedy family, uh, who knew Ted Kennedy and, and some of the Kennedys very, very well. And she gives me an account of, of uh, Bobby Kennedy deciding that there has to be action taken against Marilyn Monroe. Two of his uh, thugs, as she says it, ended up going to Marilyn's home. They left open a door there, I left open a window there so that uh, the thugs could even get into her home. Uh, I'm not going to get into exactly how Marilyn Monroe died because it's so nasty, but uh, people can read about it in in, uh, uh, in in Fighting for Justice and how Marilyn Monroe was silenced. Uh, it had nothing to do with her overdosing on drugs or, or committing suicide or anything else like that. And it's interesting because. Uh, I've gotten a little bit more of support for that theory in the last few days from somebody else who's now gotten in touch with me and uh, was even closer to Bobby Kennedy and the Kennedys and uh, su- su- you know supplements that that account that I have. You see, they just they couldn't let these two women, um, both of them. I'm sorry, I get very emotional about this. Neither one of these two women should have died. They both got too close to the truth, Dorothy especially, with regard to the JFK assassination, both involved with powerful men and both involved with those who could cover up all of that. Hoover with Dorothy's death, Joe Kennedy with uh, Marilyn Monroe's death. Hell, the Kennedys were involved with blocking any investigation by the Warren Commission into the 60 election or Bobby Kennedy's involvement in Marilyn Monroe's death. They used Nicholas Kotzenbach, the Attorney General, uh, after, after Bobby resigned to to send letters to the commission members, you should only look into the into the Warren, into the Bobby, uh, to the uh, Oswald alone theory and nothing else they didn 't want any investigations into anything else hoover didn 't want an investigation because if it 's a nut like Oswald who shot the president and killed him, the fbi can 't be held accountable if it 's a plot to kill the president like Dorothy knew about it, then the FBI should have known. So they all had something to protect with the Warren Commission, but Bobby Kennedy is really the bad one here, in my opinion. And it it it, it just it it really caused me a lot of of uh, distaste sometimes when I think about you know there's a bridge uh, uh, named after him in New York City. The, the FBI building is named after J. Edgar Hoover. These were bad guys, uh, corrupt guys. And yet I must tell you, in some ways, sometimes when I get some of my emails, people say you know with the Commonwealth presentation that people can look at on YouTube. Commonwealth Club. There's there's all these views I talked about, 700,000 last month, but there's 11,000 comments. And go in there and take a look, because some of them are about Dorothy. And and one one person the other day when I looked at them said she had the balls of a man and she was the toughest one out there. And I have such respect for her and everything else. But other ones say, Hey Mark, go go investigate live people. Who, who, you know, go go invest, their, people that died in the last five years or something like that and everything. But this is all about history. But sometimes, Brian, I don't know if people are really interested in history, if they really want to know about these things. Sometimes I wonder if they really care, and that, that's too bad, of course.
0: Now, you have literally spent years of your life following up on this, um, and I could tell by your voice that you're passionate about it. And and you feel for those two women um, as a human being. Um, where do you think this leads? I mean, do you think there will be more and more information? Does it, from your experience as a lawyer, does it eventually dry up because, you know, the sources are gone?
1: Well, I wanted to put Ron Pataki in prison. Uh, he wrote a poem uh, after Maryland, after Dorothy died that basically when you're a criminal offense lawyer, a prosecutor, especially a prosecutor, you're looking for evidence against the uh, Uh, the one you're prosecuting, that only the killer could know. And Ron wrote a poem. It's in Fighting for Justice and my other books, and and people can read it. Uh, It it talks about uh, drugs being put in a a vodka and tonic drink. And uh, it it basically shows exactly what the theory is about how Dorothy died. Uh, Unfortunately, Ron Pataki died a few months ago. I had gone to the New York Police Department and the uh, DA's office. They looked into the Dorothy death uh for a while, and then uh, you know it's 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 an old case it, it's a, a cold case in many ways, I think, but unfortunately, uh, they didn't do much about it uh with this new evidence that I have now about how much more danger Dorothy was in, knowing about the Warren Commission corruption and everything else and other evidence that I have about her death and the forensics and everything. I'm going back to the new york uh, uh Manhattan District attorney. Uh, in in, next month or the month after, trying to get them to reopen her case. Uh, I'm I'm not going to give up on that. And I have a lot of supporters out there, including a pretty well-known attorney now who's going to back my play there with Marilyn. Uh, Last year, I tried to, uh, uh, I wrote a letter with all of my evidence about Marilyn Monroe. I sent him the the book Collateral Damage. I showed how it was connected to the deaths of of, uh, JFK and, and Dorothy and all of that. Um, I, I set out all of the evidence I had that she did not commit suicide and why the case should be reopened and reinvestigated and all of that to George gasson who's the L.A. district attorney. I didn't even get a reply. Now I've got new evidence Marilyn died and I'm going to give it again another try because I've got somebody down in L.A. now that's got more power than me. Once in a while, I think what happens, and I just thought of the, this, is that um You know, and and there's skepticism about this and probably should be. Mark, all you're trying to do is sell books. Well, I'm not, but I can see how people would believe that. So I need some more power behind me, uh, independent of me in some ways, who can go after these two women's uh, uh, cases and hopefully, uh, you know, get the justice for them. I'll keep fighting for justice is like the title of the new book. But uh, if I can get that help from them and provide more evidence for them and so on and so forth, I think I'll have a better shot at it this time.
0: Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to join me on the program. I will tell you the fact that Purdue is taking all of your research and information and keeping it out there, that's a treasure trove, you know, for generations to come as well. I think that's something that like I can see where you're really proud about that because I'm sure there will be other people who will, you know, they'll see programs so. like this or others, or you know, they'll read your books. And I think that it does spark a curiosity because there is a fascination with the Kennedys, And I think, you know, I think what you did in wrapping it up, getting back to where we started with Dorothy Kilgallen is, I think you brought to life for her uh, some sort of justice that people like me who knew nothing, read about it, learn about it and realize this is one heck of a person who deserves a lot of respect and had a heck of a life. But I want to thank you for taking the time. You were very generous with your time uh, and joining me. And uh, and, and again, keep up the great work. I'm following from a distance, as are many people. So, uh. well, thank you.